here this, this morning. I greatly appreciate that. Um, uh, today, as, as I've already mentioned, we're working through the book of Ephesians, and we've gotten to this section um, on Ephesians chapter 5 that brings up wives and then husbands and this whole idea of, of marriage and the roles and responsibilities within marriage. And so um, we're going to take the next four weeks and actually break down this passage um, that uh, Mike read to us today. But in order uh, to do that, to kind of kick us off and kind of set us all on to uh, a baseline understanding, is uh, we're going to go here in just a moment to actually the book of Genesis and look at the idea of the institution of marriage and the importance of marriage and uh, what a biblical gospel-centered marriage looks like in comparison uh, to a cultural-centered marriage. And uh, so I cannot uh, do this series without, obviously, um, the help and benefit and experience of being married myself, um, but also just the the years of reading and teaching and uh, just hours upon hours upon hours of marriage counseling. And so my heartbeat is for this to be very pastoral, um, and to really speak into the hearts and lives of our marriages uh, with the gospel being in focus. And so out of that, I have some expectations. The expectations is, is that I hope that we can laugh a whole lot um, because we need to learn to laugh at ourselves even within marriage. And I'm also fully expecting that there should be lots of tears, um, maybe not experienced in this room, but experienced in the homes um, when you begin to really deal with this. If all we do is listen to these words and it has no change on us, you have missed it. You've missed it. And that's how it is every week, not just in the, the, the topic of, of marriage. All right? So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to the book of Genesis. Chapter 2 is where I'm going to be heading, springboarding off of this idea. If we're going to talk about wives and husbands, then we need to understand what the book of or what marriage is really and truly all about. So to do that, I know that there's a mixed bag of people in this room, um, that we have children and teenagers, that we have singles, uh, that we have people in struggling marriages, and that we have people in healthy marriages. And so I'm going to kick this series off by sharing with you four prayers for you um, at wherever stage that you are, all right? So if you're a child, or if you're a young adult or teenager in this room, you're still living under your mom and daddy's house. I'm talking to you. This is my prayer for you. My prayer for you during this series is that you will begin to lay a gospel-centered foundation for what you desire in marriage. That you begin to have conversations with your parents about love and relationships and dating and ask them to be trained better in regards to marriage. Also that you will show your parents a lot of grace as we allow you to peek into the realities of marriage, I would encourage you to sit down with your parents and to ask them about their marriage and to pray for them. Children, as one of your pastors, you do not have to sit in a situation um, that is ungodly, that is unruly. That if there are situations that are within that, I'm not saying that you can up and leave your home, um, but you have every right as a member in that home to press in honorably and respectfully of where your parents are and what you're seeing, okay? Key word, honorably and respectfully, okay? Because we also, I want you to know, parent, kids, teenagers, look at me, you are seeing things from a child or teenage perspective. 
And so what you are often witnessing or gossiping or peering into that really may not be any of your business, um, you are really seeing that from your perspective and you're not seeing the whole picture, okay? So have good conversations with your parents. Parents, pour into your kids. Singles, um, my prayer for you is that you will not shut me out for the next four weeks. Also, that you will listen. You will listen to the voice of truth, not of sin, Satan, and death, who would like to make you feel less than, weird, or, or have overwhelming loneliness. You are bombarded in a culture that is discipling you to buy into the unbiblical worldview of love, sex, and dating, and marriage. Do not buy the lie. But rather, the best way to prepare yourself for marriage is not waste your singleness, but to live faithfully to Jesus as he prepares you for that day. I also want to warn you, some of you want a husband or a wife more than you want God. And this will always disappoint you. I actually want to clear you, clear you into something. There are many people who feel married, who are married, and yet they still feel less than weird, and overwhelmingly lonely, all right? The best time for you to learn singles how to be married is before you get married, all right? Struggling marriage. Here's my prayer for you. My prayer for you is that over the next four weeks that there will be a revival in your hearts and your home, that the reset button would be pushed as God removes the old and replaces it with the new. I pray that God would expose the sin, the arrogance, and the selfishness in your home for the sake of each other, your children, your witness, and the church. I pray that Jesus would heal your hearts, stir your affections for one another, and fill your home with grace, mercy, and forgiveness. But I also know that there are a few who have healthy marriages. And my prayer for you, my prayer for you is the healthy marriage is that you would resist the temptation to be prideful, but rather you'd be humbled and continue to labor, labor faithfully in health. Healthy marriages are not without difficulty, but in the midst of the difficulty, they respond in the gospel. Also, that you would have singles and married couples into your home so they can listen, watch, and learn from your example. We praise God for your illustration to us, um, but encourage you to continue to press the gospel into every corridor of your life. So that is my prayers for each one of those groups um, as we go into the next four weeks. All right, so let's jump into this. All right, if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verses 15 through 24, and read along with me. It says this, this is the word of the Lord. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in it the day, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens instead of every beast and of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. 
So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she is taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the, the first picture that we see inside of Scripture um, with a wedding. The book of Genesis kind of begins with creation and then goes right into this marriage. And then we're going to see in the book of Re- Revelation that it also ends in a marriage. That in one sense, the actual idea of marriage or the actual idea of the Scripture, of God's Word, is, is really the story and the picture of a marriage. If you've ever read the, the first two chapters of the book of Genesis, you will notice that after God creates something, um, that he will often say, it is good. That it is good. And he does this over and over and over and over again. If you'll also notice, for you Bible nerds, that there are two creation stories that don't contradict each other, but actually play off of one another. The first one is establishing God's creation in order for us to see who he is, but also the importance of Sabbath. Then he follows that up with the creation narrative that shows the importance of this marriage relationship. All in while, he continues to say, it is good, 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 until we get to chapter 2, where God finally says what? The Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it. And the Lord God commanded to them, saying, You may surely, he goes on and on and on and on. In verse 18, then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. So everything is good in the garden. It is perfect. It is a glorious place. Maybe heaven will one day be like a a, a glorified garden with Jesus present in the Holy Spirit and God and all of God's people known as the church. But we see inside of this picture that out of everything that was good, there was something that was not good, and it was not good for this created man, Adam, the father of all mankind, to be alone. And then we kind of see this interesting picture that as, as God brings by every animal, he has given domain over man, and he's allowed man to govern and to steward God's creation. And in doing so, he allows Adam to name all of these animals. Now, I grew up um, in the, the 70s and 80s, uh, primarily as a child, and there was this show on television that is still on television called Sesame Street. Now, what's always interesting about Sesame Street is is that I think they really played to our ignorance quite a bit, okay? Is that they would often have a a giraffe, and, and, and then they would have an elephant, and then they would have another object. And there was this song. Do you remember it? It would say, one of these things is not like the other, right? But the thing is that the third thing was always the most obscure thing. 
So it would be like a giraffe, it would be like an elephant, and then it would be like a toaster, right? And if you were the kid that kept saying, well, the gray elephant and the toaster's gray, they're like, no, 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 all right? You never wanted to yell out in class and get that one wrong. I mean, these were Captain Obvious type of answers. And so imagine just for a moment that we see this conga line of all of these animals walking past us, and and Adam is standing there again at this moment, buck naked, and he's looking at himself, and he looks at the giraffe, he looks at the hippopotamus, he looks at the toad, he looks at the bird, all of these beautiful creations, but he quickly realized there is something about him that is completely different than all of these animals. It was not good. There was not a helpmate for him. There was not a helper for him. There was not something there or someone there to compliment in him in his life. He could not have a relationship with these animals in the same way that he could have a relationship with someone who is like him. So God puts him to sleep, creates from him a wife. And immediately the Bible switches, all right? Not like me, not like me, not like me, like me. But different. Different, but like me, right? And he, you know, this is where the preacher throws in the preacher jokes. She's called, whoa, man, because Adam said, whoa, man, right? I mean, it's dumb, right? <laughs> if you ever become a preacher, don't say that, all right? Um, and so he creates from man, which is what, e, what woman means, from man. Um, Eve actually means the mother of all things. And so we, we, we get this picture that now that there is this continuity, that there is this relationship that can form that could not happen in all of c- other created order of things. And yet now Adam looks at something that is like him and yet different from them. And now he says what? This at last is bone of my bones. That giraffe, not bone of my bones, not flesh of my flesh. This woman is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. You shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, we see this picture of what? That in all other relationships, that man shall leave all other relationships, even the relationship of his mother and his father, and that he should hold fast to this this woman, to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked and unashamed. We get, within this first passage inside of chapter 2, this understanding of covenant language. That there is something really, really, really important about this relationship and unique about this relationship that God sees as, as beautiful. You know? That there's, there's something that, and there are some freedoms that are found within this relationship that are not found in any other relationship. Right? You... You walk into my bedroom and you see me naked and I'm doing the, you know, the cover up, <laughs> right? I mean, my wife walks in there and sees that. Hey, <laughs> there's without shame there, but it goes beyond just the physical, but that within God's created order that he wants us to be able to be safe and laid bare 
in all ways, emotionally, intellectually, conversationally, and sexually, with our husband or our wife. Marriage is a really big deal to God. And you need to understand, marriage is under attack. The definition of marriage inside of this culture, which we'll get to in just a minute, is, merely, is, is way under attack, brothers and sisters in Christ, and you must not drift toward cultural ways. Marriage is instituted by God and for God. And all these things, he, he stated that it was not good, but now it is good. God has always been about relationships. The Godhead himself is made up of what? Relationships. You've got God the Father, you've got God the Son, you've got God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Son, the Son is not God, uh, the Father and God is not the Holy Spirit. And yes, the Godhead all forms what is known as the Trinity. And we see this beautiful relationship within the Trinity, even in the first chapter of Genesis, when God says, let us create them in our image. That God is much more about us than he is about I. Marriage is about covenant. Um, author, pastor, uh, Tim Keller wrote a great book. I'll send a bunch of information to you this week and resources if you want that um, through our weekly email. But in his book, Meaning of Marriage, he says this, marriage is a lifelong monogamous relationship between a man and a woman. According to the Bible, God advised or devised marriage uh, to reflect the saving love for us in Christ, to refine our character, to create stable human community for the birth and nature, excuse me, nurture of the children, and accomplish all of this by bringing the complementary sexes into an enduring whole life union. He will go on to say, and this is much easier to write down and understand, and you should write this down, biblical marriage is gospel reenactment. Biblical marriage is gospel reenactment. See, the marriage covenant is more important than you being a parent. And we live in a culture where you create little gods called your children. And all of your life is focused around those little bucket-headed kids' ears. But there's a greater relationship. The covenant relationship between a, a man and his woman is the most important relationship inside of your home. It is not that of you and your children. There should be a different expression of love that is found between husband and wife that is not found between that of the child. Your lives and your schedule and your time and all that you do should not revolve around what's happening in your kids' lives, but they must anchor their time and what you have going on, parents. I'm going to talk about parents in about five weeks, preach on parenting and children, so we'll get more in-depth into that. But I see this all the time that one of the major problems within the covenant relationship is often the kids, and it's not the kids' faults. It's that we've created little bitty idols, little bitty gods to be worshipped and to bow down to, and all of our time, talent, and treasure goes to them while our, our families, the husband and wife, are floundering. Therefore, that's why a lot of people, when your kids get out and they go to college, you get a divorce. 
is that you've spent the last 18 years not building and investing in that primary relationship. So once the kids are gone, you're sitting there staring at each other. You have no conversation because you don't know each other. There's no friendship there. So oftentimes that leads to divorce. The bond between husband and wife is more significant than any other relationship. It is the most important human relationship on the planet. And God has given it to us as a gift. As a gift, especially to Christians. See, the marriage relationship is to be a shadow of your relationship with Jesus. It's to gospel reenact. See, the the marriage relationship with Jesus as it is shadowing that. It should be a never-ending and never-ceasing pursuit. This type of relationship is, is unconditional relationship. It's to be reflected on this planet through marriage. See, your marriage is sharing the gospel. Well, let me say this. Your marriage is sharing a message. Some marriages are sharing the gospel. Others are not. And yet, if you're claiming to be a follower of Jesus in here, every one of our marriages should be preaching and illustrating and teaching this gospel message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the picture of the scripture, this romance novel that is laid out before us from Genesis to Revelation, this great picture of who our groom is and who the bride is, the church. And through our tones, through the way that we do these marriages, the world should be attracted to the type of marriage that you and I are experiencing as Christians because we see this as the greatest earthly relationship on the planet. See, love, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, teenagers, singles, strugglers, healthy, wherever you are, love is not a feeling. Love is not a feeling. I tell Laura, after being with her now 20 years, and we've been married now, I think 17, we just celebrated 17 years of marriage, that I thought that I loved her on the day that I got married to her on July the 28th, 2001. The thing is, I quickly came to realize is that I was much in lust with my wife. But love was something that had to be cultivated. Love is a decision. We like to say this all the time, that I fell in love with them. Or that I fell out of love with them. That is not a biblical understanding of love. See, love is, love is a choice. The marriage covenant type of love is, is today I'm going to wake up and I'm choosing to love you in spite of you. Laura's not in here this morning. She's teaching our kids. I'm thankful for that. And so since she's not in here, I can use lots of illustrations, hopefully that she does not watch this sermon or listen to this sermon later. This morning, I was trying to, you know, uh, I was getting ready to leave, and so I go in there, and, and Laura's still relaxing in the bed, and, and so um, I lean down to try to start messing with my wife, and I'm, I'm kissing all over her face, and, and she's doing that, that dodgeball thing with her lips, Right? And she's like, I haven't brushed my teeth. I'm like, oh, I don't care. 
We're this much into this thing, right? It's that, that this idea of in spite of you, like in spite of you stinky, in, in spite of the smelliness, in, 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 spite, in spite of all the ways that you don't um, pick up the trash or, or do the yard or, or, or the way that you did this or that, that you do that, in spite of you, I'm choosing to love you. I'm choosing to pursue you I, and no matter what. I mean, I was tall, dark, and handsome when Laura and I got married. And now I'm just bleh. And Laura is like fine wine, or for some of you, grape, grape juice, um, that <laughs> Laura, the older she gets, the more beautiful my wife gets, okay? But she stuck with me. Because she said in 2001, I choose you. I pursue after you. Too many people within our culture and within the church are trying to find this perfect soulmate. And I want you to know, they do not exist. As soon as you think a better one is over there, guess what? You're going to get to know them, and you're going to know all of their flaws, all of their sneakiness, all of their morning bad breath, all the things that drive you absolutely nuts, like the inability for people in my house to turn off the lights. Hey, see this little box right here? Like that. Look at that. Just go lights off, on, 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 yeah, uh, uh, right, 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 right. That's all you got to do. We can't do it. Not in the Baker house. That cannot happen. All right? We can't do that. Okay? But the thing is, is within marriage, though, Laura, Laura will sometimes be like, man, why, why can't you just put this away? Why can't you just flip the light switch? Right? But the tendency, well, we'll get to that. Start preaching ahead. Get excited about this stuff. All right, so we'll get to that in just a minute. All right, so we, 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 we often are in this struggle because we, we just think that, man, there's somebody else better, that it's, it's compatible. And I, under, I understand that there is some sense to that to some degree, but I want you to know as soon as you think that you're compatible and you date and you put your best foot forward for that six months, year, two years, three years, 15 years, some of us, that you, you put that first foot forward and then you get married, after that honeymoon is over, you will quickly realize we are incompatible. Because she is a female, and you are a male. And those two things, often, seemingly, without something greater, do not go together. Do not go together. See, God is reflected in this. God's purpose is one man, one woman, one life, until death or until he returns. This is the idea of covenant language, and we live in a culture that really struggles with this idea of covenant, don't we? We see from the, the picture of Scripture that God has made a covenant with us. Likewise, we, in our relationships with our husbands and wives, should also be in this covenant as we are reflecting, gospel reenacting, in an earthly relationship to ourselves, to each other, to our kids, and to the world, what it means to be in Jesus Christ. But our culture really misunderstands this. Ladies, the, the, the worst thing that you can do is go get marriage advice from a non-Christian or from Cosmo. 
all right? It's the worst place that you can get this. See, the cultural understanding of marriage is quite the opposite than this idea of covenant. I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm going to love you no matter what. I choose you. I choose you. I choose you. And let's all face it, for those of us who are married, sometimes you can roll over and it's easy to choose them. But there are going to be other mornings when you roll over and it's really hard to choose them. But you choose them. See, culture doesn't understand that. They believe that biblical marriage is, is just irrelevant. And so it's also under attack. It's constantly being redefined. Even our roles. What is a man? What is a woman? What is marriage? Who are we to say what marriage is? Who are we to say what love is? Well, we aren't anybody. But God is God. He's invented these things. He has created these things. He wants what is best for you, even for those who are lost. He is common grace in them, showing them, man, this is the best way to do this. And yet, what does our culture do? Does the complete opposite. See, society preaches that love, sex, dating, marriage, that it is all about you, that it is all about your happiness, that it is all about your pleasure, that it is all about your worth. Instead of it being about covenant, it is about consumerism. What do I get from this? What do I get from this marriage? See, marriages are not experience with eternity in perspective, according to the world. They're just looking at the here and now. What best benefits me now? First time marry for love. Second time marry for money. Right? I mean, the idea of, of getting a divorce in our culture, which I can't dive into, you can go to our, our website and see some sermons that we've, we've talked about, divorce, that's not where I'm exactly heading here today, but one of the things that is for sure inside of our culture is that we have put in the express lane opportunity for you and I to get a divorce, and no one really think much about it. And yet, that's not the Bible, See, a lot of marriages, even with those who claim to be Christians, don't really have a biblical marriage. What they have is a business agreement. They have a contract. Okay? You do this, you bring this to the table, I bring this to the table. We've got some mutual benefits. We have some sort of contract, but we're kind of free to come and go as you please. We don't really have a relationship, but according to the government of Kentucky or the United States of America, then you and I, we are married. We've got this piece of paper, and this is a great contract for you and I to have so that we can experience some things and get a tax break. And yet, again, a biblical marriage, especially between two Christians, should not be a business contract. It is a covenant relationship. It is not about get, 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 get. What do I get? Well, he's just not meeting my needs. Well, she's just not meeting my needs. All of those are reflective of a very unbiblical perspective of marriage. And my fear for many of us is that you do not have a biblical marriage, though you have a, a license to be married. What you have is a business contract, and you're cool to stay in it as long as both of you are meeting those needs. All right? The reason that we all get kind of goo-goo and teary-eyed misty at weddings is over the vows, right? And sickness and in health till death do us part, right? In many cases, what if, what if they were to stand up there and to get married and it was very contractual like what ends up happening? And the... And the the bride stands over here and she says, you know, 
I'll stay married to you as long as you make X amount of money, right? And he stands over here and says, I will stay married to you as long as you stay under this weight and dress size. Now, that seems ridiculous, but that's how people inside of our culture are living every day within the marriage. It's not about covenant vows. It's about consumerism. It's about you pleasing me and, 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 and all about that. This is what happens when marriage and relationships are being redefined, undermined, and attacked. We grow up from being told the world around us that is revolving around us that, you know, you need to grow up dating, that you need to have date after date, that you need to have boyfriend after boyfriend, that you need to have girlfriend after girlfriend, that you need to have sexual encounter after sexual encounter, whether that's virtual or real, so that when you actually get married, you'll kind of know. But the thing is, is all that begins to be just a complete letdown as real marriages cannot keep up with your fantasies. They can't keep up with your fantasies. See, we live in a culture that loves to test drive people like we test drive cars. We see something pretty, you go over here to the, to the dealership, you jump in that vehicle all based on its paint, and you drive up and down the road, and you decide whether or not you like it for a little while, or you take it back. Then you go test drive something else. See, our culture loves to practice divorce. So that when marriage comes and there's the possibility of divorce, it is much easier. Why? Because we've been doing the same thing over and over and over again. All of our lives has all been centered around, and you've got to have a boyfriend, you've got to have a girlfriend, you've got to be dating. Why aren't you married? Aren't you in your 20s? Shouldn't you have kids yet? All of this pressure, all of this overwhelming stuff that is placed on the marriage that God simply does not place upon it. If you pay any attention to the news, I hope that you read this ridiculous article that came out this week. Did anybody read the article, or it was all over the news, about uh, the Canadian bride that canceled her wedding? This last week, there was a Canadian uh, lady who broke up with her fiancé, canceled the wedding, completely ended this relationship because she started to charge every one of her exclusive invited guests $1,500 to attend her own wedding. Blessed are the dumb. Okay? Again, she, she's trying to create this party. She wants the guest to take care of the wedding, and so she is charging them $1,500 a ticket for them to come to her wedding to fit the bill for her magical wedding. Well, quickly, the husband and all of the, the uh, bridesmaids and everyone involved with the wedding just began to realize this woman is nuts. Listen to some of the things that she said. I specifically, and these are quotes, I mean specifically, ask for cash gifts. How could we have our wedding that we dreamed of without proper funding, she said. We, we sacrificed so much and only asked each guest for around $1,500. We talked to a few people who even promised more to make our dream come true. Our request for $1,500 was not out of the ordinary. If you couldn't contribute, you just simply weren't invited. 
So our request of $1,500 for all the guests was not out of the ordinary. Let me make it clear. If you couldn't contribute, you weren't invited to our exclusive wedding. It's a -a once-in-a-lifetime party. Since our love was like a fairy tale, we wanted an extravagant blowout wedding. A local psychic told us to go for the most expensive option, and we thought, why not? I just wanted to be a Kardashian for the day and then live my life like normal. Welcome to marriage. In this, she is lost because they have a child together as well. She has lost her husband. She has lost the father of her child. She has lost all of her friends. And now she is an absolute mockery all over the news media because of these decisions. It is all about her. See, who is at the center of this situation? Well, she is. She is. And, and like me, you are probably sitting there in this room and you're thinking this woman is absolutely ridiculous. That this woman is crazy. Because she made her sin public by putting it all over Facebook. But see, however... I would continue, brothers and sisters, in this room as we are quick to judge this lady because her sin has become public. If I could spend just a few moments with you or maybe even you spend a few moments with me, then you would quickly realize the same root problem that is within this young lady is the same thing that is being played out in your marriages. It's about me. It is all about me. Me, 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 me. See, marriage once was about us. But now marriage is all about me. It's all about what I'm getting and what he or she is not giving to me. Therefore, causing all sorts of, of, of afflictions and strife and suffering, not only for the man, not only for the woman, but the legacy of the children that you are leaving behind. You're beating each other up, and you are beating up your kids, and that's exactly the opposite of what we see in gospel reenactment to the world. Paul Tripp, great writer, author on many of these things, says this, When you ask a person about their marriage and the problems in the marriage, most people will always begin focusing on the wrongs of their spouse. My biggest problem is him or her. No, the biggest problem in your marriage, brothers and sisters, friends, is you. Is you. It is me. The first thing that you think about your spouse, do it all in your head right now, is it a good thing or a bad thing? See, we become experts on our spouse's faults instead of cheerleaders to their gifts. I hear it. I've heard those things come out of my mouth. I've heard those things come out of your mouths. It's that we become really good at knowing all the problems within the other person not realizing our own. 
See, if I'm griping and complaining about Laura having the inability to turn off and on lights, but I'm constantly leaving a stack of stuff next to our door that she's asked me to put away now for 17 years, the stack just changes. It's on a rotation. All I can focus on is the idea that she can't seem to flip a light. And that seems like just... How childish, how immature. I can't believe that you're doing this. This is costing us money. Do you not understand all of these things? One equally to her that I don't see is the stuff next to the door. Okay. See, a lot of the things that, that you get onto or we get onto our kids about, you know where they've learned that? From us. from us. The other day I got on to Ava because uh, she had failed to clean her room after being told a bazillion times. And literally, I was like, hey, Ava, get in there and clean your room. And then I walk into Laura and I's room and I was like, oh. <laughs> what went off in here? Right? It looks ridiculous to our kids to be berating them. You need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. Stop yelling at your sisters. Stop yelling at your brother. Stop yelling at each other. Stop yelling at each other. All we can see is what we're doing right. Let's get real this morning. All we can see is what we are doing right. Well, I do this, and I do this, and I do this, and I do this, and I do this. She doesn't see I'm sacrificing for this, and he doesn't see that I'm sacrificing this way. And all we can see is what we're bringing to the table. All we can see is what I'm doing for the family, how I'm pursuing, how all of these things of what I'm contributing to this marriage, all the while about being completely blind to us and our sin in it. So what happens? When you believe that you're giving 100% and the other person isn't, then that's when resentment begins to build up. That's when bitterness begins to build up. And that's when your marriage begins to be plagued and will not only struggle, but can easily crumble under your feet. Some of you are so religious that you'll make statements like this, though. I'm not going anywhere. Divorce is wrong, which it is. But you'll say things like, well, I, I'm, I'm not going anywhere uh, because, because here's the deal. Uh, I'm, I'm staying I'm right here. Some way we've hijacked, I'm not going anywhere, but I'm going to make your life miserable until Jesus comes back or he takes your life or mine. So I'm, I'm going to not sin, the sin of divorce, but I'm going to live in sin within this marriage. Do you get the problem? Both are sinful. All right? Both are causing issues. I mean, you're laying there and you're wondering, man, I just, man, I hope he or she dies. You know what we call that? Hate. That's called hate. And you will not see that in Jesus. 
wishing for him or her to die when you're the problem or as much of the problem as they are? Jesus, help us. Help us. Help us. Not to ever be that way. My years of experience in my own life and counseling many others is one of the downfalls that I see within the culture that has embedded itself within our marriages is the area of immaturity. People are really immature, and people get married with immature expectations that cannot be met by anyone. See, immaturity is a cancer to your marriage. Two grown people with children acting like children. See, the honeymoon will, will, will give you a high, but it will quickly run out. There's got to be something way more within that marriage relationship because, it, because we're all going to be laying there at one moment in time, and you're going to be in complete darkness laying to your husband or wife, and you're going to think this, what have I done? What have I done? I have ruined my life. And it's in that moment that you and I and we have probably all had is that either the culture mentality or the gospel covenant mentality is going to be laid out before us and a choice is going to have to be made. I also want to encourage you to do this. It always bothers me when people are living in sin within their marriage and they'll say things like, well, I guess this is just my cross to bear. We're married and we're Christians and I guess this is just my cross to bear. I guess this is just what the Lord has for me. Please stop blaming Jesus for your sin. Stop blaming Jesus for your sin. There are crosses to bear, no doubt. Most of them are centered around marriage. Most of them are centered around things that you have no influence into. And yet the Bible is clear that God wants us to have these healthy marriages and that a lot of that responsibility is, is are we going to walk and be filled with the Holy Spirit in regards to those marriages and see it just infiltrate every aspect of our lives? We need to trust Jesus in everything including the fact that he is going to sanctify you and I in our marriages. See, I would say, and you need to get this, that 99% of all of the marriages in this room and all of the people, even the singles, have one of two problems. So what I'm about to say is for everybody in here, you either have a sexual problem or a money problem. Every person in here. Okay? There may be these wallflowers out here, these linchpins, these kind of outliers. But single to married, you've got one of two problems. The leading causes in divorce are what? It's a money problem. It's a sexual problem. Okay? Some marriages have both of those. They usually end in divorce. Okay? It's compiling. You, you and I, we, we have these issues before you ever get married. You probably had a money issue 
or a sexual issue. Then you get married, and guess what you've brought to that married? Some sort of money issue, some sort of sexual issue. Therefore, the two leading causes of divorces are, are money-related, sexually-related. And, and yet, so many of us are in here trying to cover up those things. I want you to look around in this room. The singles and the marries in this room have the same problems. The issue is, is whether or not the gospel is going to be greater than those. As soon as we go into marriage, believing that you are here for me, that all of life needs to cater to me, that you need to serve me, that you need to change to my liking, all of these paths will lead you to a really bad, unbiblical, ungospel-centered path. See, a gospel-centered marriage is where you both agree to seek Jesus with everything that you are. Gospel-centered marriage isn't trying to glance over the flaws. Get it? Every one of us in here are broken. The healthiest marriages aren't with two people who, who don't have flaws and who don't argue and who don't wrestle with each other and who don't have friction within their home. No, a healthy marriage is centered on people, the two people who, in spite of those things, we are covenanting to God. We are covenanting to, to each other. We are covenanting to the witnesses at our wedding gathering that we are going to pursue Jesus even in the midst of those conflicts. That it is all about Him. That we are going to change. That we are going to pursue change. That we are going to walk in a manner that is hard. And yet we are walking hard, hand in hand, next to that man or next to that woman. This is the calling that we have been called to in Christ. Several months ago, I used this as an illustration. I think I've got this on there, Todd. If you could pull up the triangle, first triangle picture. You guys remember this? We were talking about what does it mean to walk and pursue holiness. And, and beforehand, I showed you a picture of all kinds of men and women down there that they represent the church. If you've ever been done marriage counseling with me, this is something that I use all the time because I'm here to tell you that the biggest problem in your marriage is not your husband. It is not your wife. The biggest problem in your marriage is really, it is you. And in this, though, from this picture, the idea is, is the goal is to be with and like Jesus. In everything that you do, including the marriage, that this man and this woman are not going to pursue worldly wisdom, but that no matter what's going on in their world, even in the season of life, because even healthy marriages have seasons of difficulty, but that even in this, the, the moments of celebration in the midst of great difficulty, that both of these individuals are passionately pursuing after Jesus. And so, brothers and sisters, when you lost your mind, I know singles or other couples in here, you know what? There are people who yell and scream and cuss at each other, and they call that marriage in this room. So it's not to glance over that. The Christian healthy marriage goes, okay, about an hour ago, I just lost my mind on you. I need to seek forgiveness. Forgiveness. 
I need to seek repentance to the Lord. We need to get back on track. Because again, we're all going to weave in and out of faithfulness, but the healthy marriages are coming back to faithfulness. We're pursuing, hey, at the end of the day, I can't tell you, when Laura and I, uh, when we get at each other, I can't tell you how many times we've come back to, here's the deal, I love Jesus, you love Jesus. I love you, you love me. I'm going to pursue Jesus, you're going to pursue Jesus. I'm going to pursue you, you're going to pursue me. So no matter how difficult that this season is, this moment is, the last hour have been, at the end of the day, you got me, I got you, ride or die, and we're going to make this the best life that we can possibly make it. Because the end goal is, is I want to be like Jesus, and she wants to be like Jesus. And so when you sin in your marriage, what do you do? You repent, you confess, you, you come before each other. Me and Laura, that's different seasons where, man, I've, I've come back and I've been just sprawled out before my wife, pleading her forgiveness over sin. And she's been Jesus to me by saying, I forgive you. I forgive you. That's a biblical covenant marriage where Jesus is the focus. See, too many times, ladies, you believe that you are the focus of your marriage. Well, he's not romantic enough. He doesn't take me on enough dates. He doesn't let me spend any money. He don't take me to any adventures. All of that is you, 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 you. It's a marriage centered on you. Men were much more less complicated. She won't give me sex. Life stinks. That's pretty much what that boils down to. Is that sort of conflict? I understand that there are many layers to that. But at the center of a lot of those things is he's not pursuing me relationally and emotionally. She's not making me feel like I can run through a Mack truck and won't give me intimacy whenever I want it. And so this is causing major conflict in the marriage when both are screaming, this marriage is all about you fulfilling me, all about you catering to me, all about you fulfilling every one of my fantasies when the Bible declares that your marriage is not ultimately about you, but you and our marriage, our marriages are ultimately about Jesus, that we're pursuing Jesus. See, because this is what happens when the people pursue Jesus. Todd, will you hit the next slide for me? They come together. They get closer to Jesus, and they get closer to each other, not in simply primarily pursuing the spouse, but in ultimately pursuing Jesus. And when you pursue Jesus above all other things, and I'm talking about Christians here, I understand that there's some situations where a person is not a Christian. That's a totally different conversation that I'm having right now. I'm talking right now to people who claim to be followers of Jesus. Okay? There's some other heartaches that are just gut-wrenching when you're married to a person that's not a Christian. That's why you shouldn't get married to a person that's not a Christian. But if you're in a marriage and, you're, and they're not a Christian, but you're a Christian, you've got to stay in that marriage. Okay? But I'm talking about a situation where two people are claiming to be followers of Jesus. Then the ultimate pursuit is not him. Then the ultimate pursuit is not her. The ultimate pursuit is Jesus. I want to be with 
Jesus. I'm going to choose Jesus over Laura Baker. I'm going to love Laura Baker less than I love Jesus. And what happens when I begin to pursue Jesus in all aspects, how I use my mouth, how I lead our family, how I do this, how I do this, who's the first benefit of me acting like Jesus? It's my wife. So I pursue her by pursuing Jesus first. I love her by loving Jesus first, that he is my all in all. Something has lost, even in a lot of Christian books, that there's this, the Bible says, seek first what? The kingdom of God. That is the ultimate relationship. That is the ultimate picture is that that we are going to choose Jesus. We're going to seek after Jesus and in us both full out, I mean, holy rolling, if you want to call it, fanatic for Jesus. And you show me two people who are pursuing Jesus and everything that they have, and I'll show you a healthy marriage. I'll show you a healthy marriage. Show me a marriage that is falling apart, and I'll show you a marriage where one or both of those people in that marriage are not pursuing Jesus. Show me a marriage that is falling apart, and I'll show you a marriage where one or both of those people are not pursuing Jesus. Do not tell me that you and I are fighting for our marriages if you're not spending time in God's Word every day. Because you're not. May we not say that we're fighting for our marriages and we're fighting in our pursuit for Jesus. I love Jesus. Oh, how are you spending time with Jesus this week? No, you don't love Jesus. I don't love Jesus. I'm choosing the glory of self over the glory of God. And what is the pursuit of this? The pursuit of this is, man, we want to get God. We get to be with Jesus. And God is going to use such a thing as marriage to sanctify you in such a way to make you and I more like Jesus. You pursue Jesus. We seek kingdom of heaven before we seek anything else. And all these things will be added unto you. Where? When you seek Jesus first. Spouses make terrible Jesuses. That's terrible English. Functional saviors. Spouses make terrible functional saviors. Terrible. He or she will never be Jesus. And we're going to learn over the course of the next few weeks how this continues to build on top of each other. Remember, marriage is not ultimate. Single. Look at me. Marriage is not ultimate ultimate marriage couple marriage is not ultimate it can be beautiful that blonde hair blue girl eyed girl man no one drives me more batty than that one and there's not a person on this planet that I love more than that one no one you can say whatever you want to say about me but Laura can say a small sentence and that will hang with me forever Laura can make me either feel like I can run through that brick wall or she will make me feel like a slug on the sidewalk. There's a lot of responsibility within those marriages. There's lots of responsibility within this. And it's good. I don't want to be one of those people and I don't want to be a church culture that warns singles, hey, don't get an old lady. Don't get married. But for the realization that 
marriage is a beautiful friendship. It is a beautiful burden. It is your life's greatest teacher, and it should be your greatest sharing of the gospel. Marriage, with the gospel in view, finds that there is freedom in Christ, freedom to forgive. There is no scorecard. There is no filing of rights and wrongs. Marriage is going to bring out the worst in you. I mean, have you ever been sitting there and going, man, I can't believe I just said that. Or I can't believe I just did that. I don't even know where that came from. I can't even believe I just thought that within your marriage. Marriage is going to bring out the worst in you. But God is going to use marriage to bring you to the end of yourself so that you can see Jesus clearly. Nothing will show you how selfish you are like being married. Nothing will show you how much more you want to be in control than being married. Nothing will show you more arrogance, pride, consumerism than being married. And God is using all of those things to bring you to the end of yourself that you will see not you yourself as ultimate, not your marriage as ultimate, not your kids as ultimate, but that you will see Jesus as ultimate. That it is all about Jesus. Jesus saw you and what did he do? He forgave you. Jesus loves the sin out of us. He does not berate us to death. The gospel reminds us that I'm not going to punish you for all of your failures. And this should be illustrated in every one of our marriages. Because our marriages are not about us. They are about Him. Let's pray.